Well, good morning. I'm uh, Pastor Josh Casey. I'm the uh, North Campus pastor. And uh, this week I was talking with my wife a bit. Um, and we're just kind of uh, reminiscing. <laughs> it feels like years ago that we were meeting with the, uh, with the North Campus on Sunday mornings. Um, and, uh, and now we're, we're all online. Um, one thing we were, we were really talking about is how much we uh, feel like that's, that Sunday morning with our North Campus family has just been one of the most life-giving experiences for us on a given week. So uh, just as you are out there, we, we miss you a lot. I know it's been said uh, a lot, but we can't say it enough. We really miss you. But here we are. Uh, here we are um, worshiping together. Um, though socially distant, we are, we are united in heart and spirit, uh, which is always the case as we worship each week. Um, and we worship here together uh, on today, which is a, a special uh, day. Next week is uh, Easter Sunday, but today is Palm Sunday. Um, Palm Sunday. My wife just sent me a, a video, even uh, Stacy sent me a video of, uh, of one of our, our, our youngest daughter uh, waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. And uh, it was so, uh, so wonderful to see. Um, but here we are celebrating on Palm Sunday, uh, COVID time 2020, celebrating Jesus, our coming King. And this text brings us into such glory of a Jesus who we can cry out to and who is, uh, who is willing and able to save us. You see, we need a king, and Jesus is that king. We want a king. There's something off. There's something lacking about our lives. Uh, even just this week, some hurt, some frustration, some fear, some anxiety. Situations may change, but these things always are there. Different levels at different times in different ways. And they push us to groan, to ache, to cry out for justice. We want something done. Someone or something to come and finally make it right. We want balanced order. We want a king. Well, God answers this longing through the Bible time and time again. And here in Matthew 21, he's going to answer this specifically by saying, wait no longer. Jesus is coming to rule in justice and righteousness, to come to establish peace. And so if you're a note taker, you can, you can take that. That's our outline for today. Point one is wait no longer. Point two, Jesus is coming. And point three, two, rule in justice and in righteousness. Point one, wait no longer. This is verses one through five. Jesus is defining himself here as the forever king overall. Now we drop into Matthew 21 here today. Um, up until Matthew 21, uh, Matthew has been weaving together this whole story that Jesus is the coming awaited king that we've been wanting. Um, but as people come online, as they're enlightened, as the light bulb turns on and they, and they, they realize, oh, you're that guy. Jesus has this thing that he says. He says, uh, don't tell anyone. There's this messianic secret is what we call that. This, this idea that hey, don't tell anyone quite yet. My time's not here. But here in, in, in Matthew 21, Jesus says, okay, we're here. We're good. Let's do this. Let's announce this. Let's make this public. And you know, if, if it were me, I'd probably go a little bit bigger than Jesus. It's so unexpected how he comes. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Disney goer. And so I'm thinking if I'm going to announce that I'm the king, I'm going to follow suit in Ali of Babwa, and I'm going to bring out everything. And we're just going to march in, kick open the gates, and call this our kingdom. Let's read. What does Jesus do? Verse 2. He does it quite differently. He says, go into the village. You will find a donkey 
and a colt, untie them and bring them to me. Why a donkey? That's so frumpy. That's so ridiculous. Why? Well, I don't want to act like the answer is not right in front of our eyes. It's in verse 4. It's to fulfill scriptures, to fulfill the prophecy that's coming there. But I don't want to just read over this and say, oh, he did this so that, uh, so that scripture was fulfilled. I want to pause because there's something even more happening here. You see, the Old Testament is quoted several times in the New Testament. The Old Testament is quoted a lot in Matthew. And even Jesus himself interprets all of the Old Testament as revealing himself. That's Luke 24. What happens here in, 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 in Matthew, in Scripture, and whatever, is that we don't simply, we're not unhitching ourselves from the Old Testament, but rather we are binding together the Old and New Testament as a way to say that there is a king. It is real. He is coming. And he's here for our salvation. And it's like this. We do this normally uh, when we quote things. We do this normally in our own lives. So this is where the sermon is going to get interactive with you right now. So in your homes, wherever you're at, in your, on your couch, in your car, wherever you are, um, whether you're by yourself or not, please uh, enjoy this interaction right now. Okay, so I'm going to quote a movie uh, as, as we would be quoting scripture maybe. I'm going to quote a movie, and I'm only going to give you the quote. I'm going to ask you what action takes place when you say the line, um, there's no place like home. Now, I can hear some people uh, in the room uh, clicking heels. Uh, why are we clicking our heels together? Because we know that line refers to Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, ruby, ruby red slippers, we click our heels, we want to go to Kansas. There's a whole lot in that one quote. There's a context to the quote. Let me try this one again. This one's going to get embarrassing. If you're a dad who really likes to uh, look ridiculous in front of your kids, uh, you're probably good. If you are a dad, uh, you, you probably already do this quite often, so I'm challenging you to take this one up. I'm going to say this quote the wrong way, and I want you to say it the right way. It's from Terminator, and the quote is, I'll be back. Go ahead. Yeah, why are we all impersonating Arnold Schwarzenegger right now? That's ridiculous. Uh, because we have a context. We've heard it. Whether we've watched the movie or not, we know that I'll be back is not the way we say that. We say it with this rich Austrian accent. Okay, this one is for everybody. We've shut down all our sports, but we can all be unified with Neil Diamond right here. I'm going to start this one, and you answer. Here's the call and response. Sweet Caroline. And then we all say, a bomb, 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 right? There we go. Wow. The like five of us in this room all did that in unison. Thank you. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, yeah, we, we know this. That wasn't written in the song. We're singing the parts of the instruments there. But Neil Diamond would hate it if we sang it that way. But there's a context. We understand what's happening when we hear those small phrases. When you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, there's something happening here. There's, there's not just one little quote that's just a random thing because we couldn't think of the words we were going to say and we wanted to say something in a strange way. Maybe if I shift the analogy here. The Holy Spirit, through the biblical authors, Jesus, through the biblical, uh, through the biblical citations, is, is more or less putting um, different spools of, of prophecy up. So in, in the text we have here, he, he puts a spool 
of Psalm 118. We'll get to that. He puts a spool of Zechariah 9. He puts a spool of Isaiah 56 and, and 62 and Jeremiah 7. And that's a, a lot of what's pulling together everything that's, that's, uh, that's presented here. And it's as though Jesus and the Holy Spirit are weaving this together from us, pulling from each one of these threads, pulling from each one of these prophecies and weaving together this tapestry that's there. And what he's showing us is a tapestry that says... Fetch my donkey. I'm the king. I'm here. I love you. I'm going to save you. Let's look at one of these spools of thread. Zechariah 9 is quoted here. So you can follow along on the screen there. Uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why is Jesus riding on a donkey? Because he's the king. He's coming to save. And that's so wonderful. Jesus is, is defining himself as the promised forever king overall. But here's where our hope is. It's not just that he is the king. He's not simply the forever king who is forever distant. Point two, wait no longer. Jesus is coming. Let's read verse six. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on, and put on them their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went uh, that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Why on earth would people spread cloaks and branches on the ground and say such strange thing? I mean, just think of the sight. It's an odd thing. It's a rather unexpected thing. Well, I think that maybe some of it, scholars have suggested that maybe this is just the normal uh, royal procession that would happen as a king entered or uh, into a city, and this is kind of the fanfare that would happen. But even that answer doesn't explain, uh, it only explains why they're celebrating in this way. It doesn't answer the deeper question of why did they recognize him to be the Messiah king in the first place. I mean, they say he's a prophet from Nazareth, but they're doing things that suggest he's more than that, that he is, in fact, the king. And I think for that answer of how do they recognize him as king, I would say that I suspect that it's because they're movie buffs. <laughs> it's because they, uh, they know their music, their audiophiles. And, you know, even more than that, they really know their Old Testament classic rock in the key of Psalm 118. And Psalm 118, they quote in, in, in their praises of him, but there's so much more to Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is about a conquering hero who will enter the house of God to offer right sacrifices for his people. It seems what Jesus is doing on his Palm Sunday. For the whole week, he's going to be making a way of righteousness, opening the gates of righteousness that, that we might enter. Hey, let's read this. On your screen, you'll, you'll see. This is what they say uh, in Psalm 118, verse 25. It says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
They're directly quoting Psalm 118. This save us idea, though, I want to give you a little bit of Hebrew here. If you didn't know Hebrew, here's Hebrew. You already know some Hebrew. Uh, The word save us, uh, or the words save us in Hebrew is the word hosanna. When we cry out hosanna, we are saying save us. There's an Inuit word for the feeling of anticipation while waiting for someone to arrive that often leaves to intermittently going outside to check on them. That we want something. We're so anxious for something. We're expecting something that it's not just the anxiety. It's not just the, the, the expectation. It's not just the longing. But it's, it's the movement toward checking incessantly to see if they're there. Um, in this time of quarantine, uh, you might have experienced this several times um, because you're at home a lot more. Um, when you order an Amazon package... <laughs> Uh, you have this, this, this longing that makes you check the front steps like 89 times. Uh, and then when you get there, then you hold up your phone and you say, why are you causing me so much anxiety? You told me it's out for delivery. Hosanna longing is this. You told me that you would save. And now I keep checking. But it's not just looking at the clouds. It's not just looking at the front steps. We get these pangs of this longing in our heart. This goes back to the very beginning. We want a king. We want someone to make this right. Just this week, we may have experienced some of this Hosanna longing and not even known it. Our retirement account might have gone upside down. We might have experienced job loss or, or, or job reduction. Pay cut. Now maybe this was a very, this has been a very pleasant change for you. More time at home. And maybe you already worked from home and it doesn't seem too much of a difference. All of these move us toward some form or should move us toward some form of Hosanna longing. You may be experiencing some form of, of injustice. You may be experiencing some, some kind of abuse, some suffering, some hurt, loneliness, a shame or a guilt or a sense of worthlessness or rejection. The people here recognize their king. The people back in, in, in Israel that are reading the Psalms for the first time, singing the Psalms into tradition, are crying out, save us. You're not alone if you have that feeling. That's all of us. We know that God is good. We know that God is right. We also know that we live in a broken world. And so we can cry, Hosanna, again and again and again. We're tempted to fix it on our own, to be our own king. We're tempted to distract ourselves and look away. But the right response to those moments is to check again, check again, check again, Hosanna. Hosanna, save us. Now, there's an interesting thing uh, with words, that the meaning of words evolves over time. And Hosanna is one of these words. Eventually, to the Israelites, uh, Hosanna also came to mean, thank you for saving. And I think for us Christians today, uh, that is such a wonderful thing for us in this already and not yet time of the church, where we can look back 
at the cross, and we could say, thank you for saving us. But we can also look forward to say, please save us once for all. You saved us from our sins. Now heal us completely forever. Make it right again. We can cry out, Hosanna now, because when King Jesus returns, he's not returning on a donkey. He'll be returning on a white horse. What, was, uh, what took place on the cross at Golgotha is going to be finished completely by the sword at Armageddon. We can cry out Hosanna expectantly, longingly, continually, because we know we have a king who is coming, and that king is King Jesus. And he comes not just to show that he's the boss, but he comes to do something. He comes to, uh, to establish uh, or to, uh, to rule in justice and in righteousness. And I would say maybe even a, a better way of going about that. That's how he gets to the end. The end is that he's coming to establish peace. He establishes peace through his justice. And I know that justice sounds like a big, uh, a big dark cloud sometimes of, of accusation and, and punishment. Uh, it, it's not that. The biblical idea of justice is, is much different than, than just punishment. King Jesus' justice is both wrath and refuge. King Jesus' justice is both wrath and refuge. It's like this. We have a common experience like this. Um, the, words, the three words, uh, dad is coming. Okay, so dad is coming is going to mean something of wrath or refuge, depending on who you are in this scenario. Let's say sibling A um, decides, unprovoked, uh, to jump on top of sibling B and just start pounding him. Now sibling B is startled, is hurt, is getting pounded, and is wondering what's going on. In that moment, the third sibling says, dad is coming. The authority is showing up. Things will be made right in this situation. Dad is coming means something very different from, uh, to the attacker as it does from the attacked. Dad is coming is very similar to this idea of God's justice. It is both wrath and refuge depending on what side of the law you are on, what side of truth you stand. And we see this happens. When Jesus shows up, he goes to the temple. And we see an example of both of these. Jesus sh uh, shows up to the temple. And pulling from the prophet, prophetic school of Isaiah, he calls it my father's house. And he goes in and he confronts those who have transformed it from a hospitable place of prayer for all nations, more or less to a marketplace for padding their pockets of the religious. And it's not the, the problem that he, he says, it's not the problem of what they're doing, it's their hearts. And so we're going to get to the hearts of these people that Jesus is correcting, that Jesus is, 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 uh, is, is, is bringing his justice on, his clarity uh, on these people. You see, in verse 14, the needy show up and Jesus deals with them. The kids start singing these prophetic praises of him identifying, hey, even the kids now know uh, that, that this is our guy but then we get to the hearts. It's not exactly what the religious are doing. It's where their hearts are. 
They're playing religious games, but their hearts are not set on Christ. The final three words of verse 15 give us a great warning. The final three words say, they were indignant. These religious people were indignant. Indignation uh, is more or less a knee-jerk anger to a perceived offense. They get mad because they're offended. That is, they were more upset that Jesus was disrespecting the way they wanted to do church than they were with the fact that people don't know Christ, that people don't follow Christ, that people live in sin, and that people don't delight in Christ. That's me and you every day. That's us. We get offended that we had to reschedule, postpone, cancel all these different activities. We get mad. We get mad that we don't have, that we don't have our, our, our nice vacation that we wanted. I had to cancel one of mine. I was mad. We get upset that we have to reinvent the way we did all of our work. We get upset that we have to be so close to our family so much and we can't go outside to take a break. We just want to go somewhere. Can we just drive for a while? We get so upset that our rhythms are off. We get so upset that that quarantine has, has more or less forced us into a place of solitude. And in a place of solitude, it's not just loneliness. It's the fact that we have to come to terms with who we are. And we don't like what we see in the mirror. Oh, and we get mad. And when our internet goes down, our distraction is gone, and it makes us go even more into the place we don't want. We have to come to terms with the fact that we may not be the most well-put-together person. And we get offended. And I'm guilty of this. There have been many times over the last couple of weeks that I've been upset, I've been frustrated. And because I think I'm good, I think that anything bad that happens to me is, 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 is injustice on God's level, and so I get extra mad and feel good about my anger. All the while, my indignation is not shifted to the fact that I keep having the name of my neighbors come up, and I know they don't know Christ, and I know that I've done nothing to speak to them about Christ. But rather than self-righteous indignation, we're invited into Christ-like Indignation, which starts with humility. And humility starts with accepting reality as it truly is. Let's go back to verse 14. We skip that. At verse 14, we see a couple different kinds of people come to Jesus. We read that the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple. You see, historically, there's always been this, this connection between light and knowledge. Uh, we, we, we use this terminology today. Uh, if someone is really smart, we call them enlightened. Uh, we call them bright. If they're incredibly smart, we call them brilliant. These are all terms of light and knowledge uh, put together. Uh, and this has been historical for centuries. Uh, in the Bible, the authors are, are playing on this literary poetic feature here. And so when blind people come to Jesus, uh, on the one sense, they are physically blind and they need healing. We see this several times. Uh, but then we also can learn that there is a spiritual blindness of this. That we we don't see clearly, that we don't understand rightly. If you're asking questions, you're admitting one way or another, I'm blind. Hosanna, help me, save me. If you don't know 
quite, quite what we're talking about here. If you don't know quite who this Jesus is, or this sin thing we talk about, or this justice, or, 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 or many of these things, we'd encourage you to have a conversation. Sometimes you can just learn some of the, uh, some of the terminology that we use, uh, some of, the, some, some of the, the, the language that's in the Bible. If you read the Bible and you wonder, what is going on? This is written. It's so stuffy. It's so old. There's a, there's a bit of blindness there. The book of James tells us this. It says, um, it says that if we don't know, we can pray. We can just ask God, turn the light on. <laughs> Give me some light. Give me some knowledge. The questions aren't the problem. It's when we don't look for those right answers and we don't look for them in the right place. There is clear, unwavering truth here. And as, a, as the Irish hymnist said, um, uh, it's not that we need, you know, LASIK surgery. We don't need bifocals. We don't need refocus our vision here. If we're honest with ourselves, we need, like, new eyes. We need God's eyes to rightly understand the situation, the timing, the questions, the hurt, the joys in life, and rightly place them. We need new eyes. He says, uh, the, the, the hymn that we know and we love so much, it doesn't say, uh, uh, be thou my corrective vision. It is, be thou my vision. Your eyes need to show me how to see. And maybe you do see some of Christ. Maybe you have seen some of Christ, but you've gone another direction. Maybe it's not the ignorance that you, that you are really troubled with right now. Maybe, maybe you're lame spiritually. Maybe you would admit, I don't walk correctly. I don't walk so straight. I try, but I stumble. I'm wayward. Effort is the key to discipleship. Honest effort. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all put together. But humility says, at some level I am blind, and at some level I am lame. And we cry Hosanna because the last three words of verse 14 say, and he healed them. Hmm. How sweet is that? He healed them. We can cry Hosanna because as, the, as uh, the author of Hebrews looked back on Jesus and paints us this wonderful, magnificent picture of who Jesus is. And the author of Hebrews says uh, in, in, verse, or in chapter 5, he says, uh, and I quote, that Jesus deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward, end quote. So what do we do with this? I think there are three points of, uh, of application, I guess. This is how I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you three suggestions, what we could do, uh, what you might be able to do. Um, conversation prompt, maybe things to talk about at lunch today. Uh, maybe some action to roll into a, a plan. And so I'm just going to throw these out. They're kind of big, and I don't know exactly who you are or where you're at. And then when I get done here, I'm going to pray like crazy that the Holy Spirit convict you, comfort you, and guide you specifically as you need it today. So, the first suggestion would be to shout Hosanna. Shout Hosanna on both directions. Shout Hosanna that we could say, thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you for weaving together this amazing tapestry of a story that you come and you conquer death and sin. You bring light to darkness, ending it. And you can do that. I need that hope now. 
but also save me. And I long for your salvation in the days to come. Shout Hosanna regularly and increasingly. Point two, suggestion two is to seek refuge in Jesus. We're going to want to go to entertainment. We're going to want to go to other people. We're going to want to go to relationships and our finances. We're going to want to go to all of these different forms of king. And all these things will say you're safe. But we know that ultimately it's King Jesus who can save us. We've suggested already in the service that we have many opportunities and resources to help together. You can find those online on on our website. But go into Seeking Jesus as the Refuge. I just suggest a couple things. Go to the Psalms. Go to the Psalms and and, and look at the Psalms and, and read them and make them your words and make them your prayer. Here are a couple that I throw out to you. Psalm 3. Psalm 7. Psalm 9, which I kind of think is just the structure of this entire sermon today. Some beloved Psalms. Psalm 23. Psalm 36. Read the Psalms. Put it in your heart. Calibrate your emotions this way. And then finally, the suggestion we just shift your indignation from self-righteous preference, from personal offense, and being angry at that, but rather to the gospel essentials, that people need to know Christ. From self-righteous indignation to Christ-like indignation. People are lost. Sin seems to win. Our pride holds back the injustice. And so I'll challenge you. Uh, this is this final note here. I challenge you with this. I challenge you to have a conversation with one unbeliever, or maybe what I would call a done believer, someone who was part of the faith but said, this whole church thing is, is rough. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people who was brought back. I said, this is over. I'm done with this. <laughs> but what brought me back, why I'm preaching you today, is because this is real. <laughs> this is true. This King Jesus is bigger and better than any experience you may have ever had in your entire life. Any bad experience any good experience. This is the truth, and people need to hear this. So I'd challenge you, someone who's been burnt by church, someone who's never been to church, we have this wonderful thing called Holy Week coming up. We are going to walk through the love of Christ as he comes and satisfies sin once for all. So there are opportunities. Invite people to this conversation. Invite them. We've got a lot of things going on here this week at Parkview uh, that you could do but, but, but what's even better than Parkview, even as a pastor of Parkview, because it was better than Parkview, is to give them Christ. Let's take him there. He's here in the Bible. Read through them. Read through uh, John with them. Who is this Jesus, and what does it mean if he's really real? What does it mean for me? Now, brothers and sisters, we can cry out Hosanna loudly, lovingly, longingly. Wait no longer. Jesus is coming to rule in justice and in righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our conquering king. Thank you for being an all-powerful king. Thank you for being most merciful, loving, tender, gentle, humble king who knows exactly how it feels to go through life as a person, as a human, but is able to save us from sin, from brokenness, from darkness, from fear, from shame, from guilt, from any anxiety of the world. 
give us real hope by clarifying the real truth about you. We thank you that you are our king. Help us to live more rightly in line with that reality. We love you. Amen.